Uh, this week, we are going to be continuing in Ruth, uh, looking at Ruth chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 10. Uh, last week, we saw how God provided for Ruth and Naomi despite their lostness. Ruth was lost in her direction, and she was uncertain of where to go, and yet she happened, or God led her, to the exact field that he intended. And so we, we saw how through this, he provided for, God, for Ruth's lostness. The field that, that Ruth was led to, that she happened upon, belonged to a man named Boaz. Now, last week we got a, a bit of insight into the kind of man that Boaz is. In, in verses 4 of chapter 2, we see Boaz approaching the workers in his field. And he, when he arrives, he greets them saying, The Lord be with you. And, and the workers in his field respond with, The Lord bless you. So we know that Boaz is a godly Israelite, a stand-up man who has respect for his workers. And as Boaz approaches the field, he, he takes notice of Ruth. And, and he asks the man who is overseeing the workers, he asks the manager, he says, Who is this? Who is this? Who is she? The manager informed him that she is a Moabitess, Ruth the one who returned from Moab with Naomi. He told, uh, he told Boaz about how she asked if, if she could glean, if she could pick up the fallen kernels that were left behind by the men harvesting, the reapers, and that she had arrived at the field in the morning, that, that morning, and, and other than a short rest, she had been working there all day long. And that's where we pick up with the story by reading our text this morning. We read the word of the Lord, Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 10. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and do not go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and, and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Boaz finds himself in an interesting predicament. A woman is in his field, gathering the grain left behind. She's doing the work of a woman who does not have anyone to provide for her. She's doing the work of a widow. But she's a foreigner. Israel has, has pretty strict laws about fraternizing with, uh, being involved with, even marrying foreigners. This is, this is the time of the judges, remember. Half the time, the, the reason that Israel is, going, uh, is running after foreign gods during this time is because they're chasing foreign women. Ruth is, is, is not just a foreigner, however. She's also a Moabitess, a woman from the land of Moab. And Israel has a special relationship with the land of Moab. Do you remember the, the prophet Balaam? It is in the story of Balaam that we encounter a, a talking animal. For God spoke to Balaam through the mouth of his donkey. 
And the reason for this is that Balaam had been hired by the king of Moab to put a curse on the people of Israel. God used the donkey to call Balaam out. Balaam was unable to curse Israel and instead blessed them. But because of Moab's attempt to curse Israel, we read in Deuteronomy 23 that no Moabite was allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. Even if they were ten generations removed from their Moabite heritage. And, and beyond just not being able to fraternize with Moabites, Israelites were not to let them have peace or prosperity. So what is Boaz to do? On one hand, here is, here is this young Moabitess. She's working hard in his field, and he respects that, and she's working for the benefit of, of an Israelite, of Naomi. And on the other hand, he's a God-fearing Israelite, and, and, and there are rules. There are rules about foreigners, and, and there are specific rules about this particular brand of foreigner. So what is Boaz to do? Boaz approaches Ruth. And he tells her that she shouldn't ever go and work in a different field. That she should continue to work this field. That that she should stay here and she will never have any issues with men assaulting her. And if she's ever thirsty and, and needs a break, that she is free to help herself to the water jars that his men have filled. Boaz has mercy on Ruth. And her response to this kindness resonates. It resonates. I was particularly struck by the way that Chad Bird, an Old Testament scholar, interpreted her response. He writes this. When Boaz showed mercy to Ruth, she was shocked. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth uses a beautiful Hebrew expression. Take notice is a form of the verb nakar. And a female foreigner is a nokria. In essence, Ruth asked this man, why should you notice the unnoticed? Why should you notice the unnoticed? Do you ever feel unnoticed? Do you ever feel like you are unimportant, like you don't matter? Do you ever feel overlooked, unseen, unnoticed? Maybe you are the middle child in your family or the quiet one. And it always seems like your other siblings got all the attention and and you got what was left, if anything at all. Maybe it was high school. You weren't in the cool crowd. You know, you weren't loud and, and popular. So people didn't even seem to know that you were there. And I was a... I was in junior high and in, in, also into the beginning of, of my, my high school days. My, my closest friends were a bunch of guys from the youth group that were a few years older than I was. We were, we were really close, like we were super close. We did everything together. And, and they graduated after my freshman year and they went off to college. And, and that left me in my sophomore year as one of the older kids in the youth group. I will never forget one of the girls coming up to me that fall as youth group kicked off for the school year, and she welcomed me to youth group. I I told her that I'd I'd been there for years now. Surprised, she told me that she had never noticed me before. Her attention had been on my older friends. It was like I had never been there. 
completely unnoticed. Maybe you feel like the hard work that you are putting in at your place of employment isn't getting the recognition that it should. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you feel like your work goes unnoticed. Stay-at-home parent. You cleaned the living room. You did, but, but the living tornado that is your children have destroyed it again. And it's as if you hadn't done a thing. Added to that, your family seems to think that food just magically appears on the table every day and then complains that it doesn't happen to meet their standards of taste or texture. Maybe your particular set of skills and talents aren't as recognized or in very high demand by the public. And so you feel like people don't value you, like they, like they overlook you. Maybe what you'd like to do, what, what you are good at, is overshadowed by someone who is perceived to do it better. And so even though you get to use the abilities you enjoy using, you still feel overlooked and unseen. Maybe there is a global pandemic that is sweeping the world, affecting your country, your community, and your church, and you feel a little unnoticed because your pastor hasn't reached out to you to see how you are doing. Hear my confession. I'm sorry for failing you. Please forgive me. I don't know what part of your life leaves you feeling unseen. But there are points in each of our lives where we feel like we are unnoticed, where we feel unimportant, where we would like some recognition, some attention, some love and respect, someone to reach out to us, someone to care, someone to notice us, and it, it just doesn't happen. Church, friends, Rest in the truth that God notices the unnoticed. He has not forgotten you. He has not overlooked you. Though he may not be working in your life in the ways that you want him to be working right now, currently in your life, look to the promises of Scripture. Rest in the truths that are laid out for you in his word. He tells us that he notices us so completely that he knows the exact number of hairs on your head, as Manny read for us today. He is, he is so huge and overwhelmingly knowledgeable that he cares for each bird in the air and knows when each one falls, how much more does he care for you? The one that he made in his own image the one he loves so incredibly much. Though we are Ruth, the unnoticed, God notices us. He knows you, and he loves you, and he has provided for you. This fact is shouted and proclaimed throughout the scriptures. It is his great love. He is in, in his great love, he has provided for your deepest needs. He will never forget you, never overlook you. He will never not notice you. What a fantastic promise. What an absolutely wonderful comfort for each of us. And then at the same time, it's a horrifyingly humiliating reality. For Ruth, the unnoticed foreigner, knows that she is from Moab. And she knows that Moabites do not belong in the land of Israel. They do not belong with the people of the promise. 
And so for as much as she is thankful that she is being noticed, there's, there is the fear of being noticed as well. For there are some things that we don't want people to notice, aren't there? <laughs> there are times that, that we would rather just be unnoticed. It's, it's hard to forget the panic of when you've been daydreaming in class and the teacher calls on you to answer a question and you have no idea what the question is, what the context is, or what even close to what the right answer might be is. And so you just sit there quietly in your shame while those around you snicker. Sometimes we prefer to be unnoticed. Maybe we just don't like attention. Sometimes we prefer to just be left alone with our thoughts and our struggles. And sometimes it's the struggles, our struggles, that we want to go unnoticed. We get embarrassed when what we wanted hidden is brought to light. We don't want people to see our failings. We don't want attention drawn to our dysfunction. We would prefer that people never knew, that people never noticed. And, and for many of us, we can, we can keep it that way. We can hide the majority of our flaws, our failings, our sin from the eyes of our fellow man where, where they don't see it, where they don't know about it, where they don't notice it. For those failings prove that we do not belong. They prove that we are not righteous. They prove that we aren't good enough. They prove that we are Moabites living in the land of the people of the promise. And we don't want anyone to know that we are frauds. We don't want anyone to know that we're faking it. That we really aren't as good as the persona we've created. We don't want people to know that we're broken, dysfunctional, and, and sinful. We'd prefer that all of that go unnoticed. But God notices the unnoticed. He knows where we have failed. He knows where we have messed up. He knows where we have not done all that we were supposed to do or, or maybe any of it. He knows that we have fallen short. He knows that we have not kept his laws perfectly. He knows. He knows. His all-seeing, incredibly observant eye has noticed. He knows that we are Moabites masquerading in the land of promise. And so what does he do? Like Boaz approached Ruth, so God approaches us. And like Boaz provided for Ruth, so God has provided for us. Boaz knew that Ruth was a Moabitess. He knew where she was from. And he knew the rules. But instead of enforcing them, instead of kicking her off his land, instead of, instead of sending her away, Boaz had mercy on Ruth. He showed her grace. He, he treated her in a way that her bloodline screamed out she didn't deserve. He encouraged her to, to stay in his field. He provided water for her. And as we read farther into the chapter, we see that he told his workers to take out some whole stalks of barley and leave them for her. He provided for her more than she needed. And church, friends, so it is with us. Though we are sinners and do not deserve God's mercy and grace, he has poured it out 
over us just the same. He had every right to to banish us, to, to send us away, to expel us from his presence and his promise. But he has done, he has not done that. In fact, he has done just the opposite of that. Because of our sinfulness, because of what he has noticed, though we wanted it to go unnoticed, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to live, to teach us about God, to proclaim to us his desire for our lives and and to inform us of his love for us. His love that is so great that, that he would not send us away, but instead sent his one and only son up the hill of Golgotha. To be nailed to a cross and to die in our place for the sin that he noticed. And there Jesus became sin for us. And there he died for it. Paying the price that we could not. So that through faith in him we might be forgiven. Through faith in him so that we could have relationship with God. Through faith in him, we have, we have put on Christ so that when God sees us, he doesn't notice the sin anymore. For because of the faith that he has given us, when he looks at us, he sees his son. He sees Jesus. And so now, because of Jesus, God will never have to send us away from his field. He welcomes us. He implores us to stay, to eat, to drink, and to take all that we need from the riches of his grace and his mercy. God has noticed you. He has seen your sin and he has made a way. He has made it so that you can stay in his field. And he has seen you when you feel like no one else has. He sees you in your hurt, in your loneliness, in your pain. He sees your victories, your triumphs, and your defeats. He sees you when you feel invisible to the world around you. And as he sees you, he looks on you with love. He looks on you with love, with grace, with mercy. Desiring to be in a closer relationship with you. I'm going to close this morning with Chad Bird's final thoughts on this statement of Ruth's. He writes, our lives often feel meaningless. Does anyone truly see us? Our Redeemer, the bridegroom of the church, certainly does. He nakars the nakriya. He notices the unnoticed. What an amazing, fantastic, loving, forgiving, merciful, and gracious God that we serve. Amen.